Last night, Gil spoke about the seven factors of awakening. And these factors are an expression of the awake mind. So when we are fully awake, these are, this is the way that our mind and our heart is expressed through these factors. So they're both a culmination of the path, but they're also, they also give shape to our path. We practice each one of these factors until they completely come into manifestation in our being. And at the top of the list is mindfulness. So mindfulness also is an expression of the awake mind. So when there are no more obscurations, there's nothing coloring the mind at all, the mind is fully mindful, mindful, full of mindfulness. And it's not a fabricated mindfulness. It's not a mindfulness that we have to make happen. We don't have to try to be mindful or do mindfulness practice. That's just a natural expression of the mind. But yet in the beginning, this is our practice. We wouldn't be here if we've already realized this because we'd realize that that's our natural state. So we're practicing in order to recognize our natural state, our natural consciousness. So mindfulness really is very simple because it's already who we are in some ways. It's already an expression of our being. And yet there's so many things that obscure that realization, that that recognition, that we have to keep practicing and cultivating this mindfulness so that we actually start to see clearly what's interfering with the recognition. So our practice is simple, we say it's simple, but it's not easy. And there's a famous quote from one of our teachers, Munindraji, a little man from Calcutta, India, who was Joseph Goldstein's first teacher, who coined that phrase, really. He said, our practice is simple, but not easy. Simple, but not easy. So simple mindfulness, the practice that we're doing here, this simple but not easy mindfulness means that we are in contact with what's real. Moment to moment, we say we're in contact with reality or with with what's real. And what that means is it's, it's the opposite or different than being lost in our imaginations, in our fabrications of our mind. That we're not in our story of the past and our imagined projections of the future, but we're, we're here, we're in touch with this immediacy of this reality here. And we see things for what they are. When we're thinking about something, there's the awareness that knows we're thinking. Or if I'm having a feeling of agitation or some anxiety, I know that there is anxiety running through. Or if I am hearing the turkeys, heard the turkeys this 
afternoon, this morning, doing their with their fluffy feathers and you know strutting around. When I when I see and I hear what I'm calling turkeys, I know that I'm present for it. No, I'm not imagining that. I'm not making it up. It's it's what we call reality. You know, sometimes we. Not so sure what reality is, but this is what we're, what we mean by reality when we're talking about this practice in mindfulness. We're coming in contact with what's real. So we might say that this retreat is, or any retreat, is a confrontation with reality. We're confronting reality because, because we're shifting from the imagination, our imaginary world where many of us live, in the world of the, of the mind, of our stories of past and future, we're shifting from the imaginary world to this reality here. And when we do that, we're not always so happy with what we find, which is why then we want to slip back off into our imaginary world because we can sometimes fabricate something that f- might feel a little bit more pleasant, you know, for example, going into some of our fantasies or our memories, um, which gives us a kind of escape, we might say, sometimes from what might feel like a painful or challenging reality when we come fully into the present moment. But our practice is, and we invite you and encourage you to come back. You know, that's what what the instruction is, again and again, come back, return back. Each time you notice that your mind is going off, come back. And, and what this means is, it's, it's come back here. Because this is where life is happening. This is, this is where reality is. And, and as we develop and mature in ourselves, and in our practice, we live in reality. And we have more and more resources. We have more and more capacity to be able to cope with reality because it's not so nice some of the time. It can be really, really hard. And so our practice actually gives us resources, gives us inner resources of strength and compassion and wisdom and different qualities of patience and openness, generosity, to be able to meet life as it is. Because the habit, the tendency, is not to want to be here. We don't want to deal with it. And want to find all kinds of ways to avoid or to strategize, to uh, find a way out. So on the first couple of days of a retreat, when we're coming back and coming back and coming back, a lot of what we find is, is dukkha. Dukkha is the, is the uh, Pali word for, often translated as suffering, but sometimes that's too strong of a word. I, I think the word just unsatisfactory is a better uh, definition for dukkha. The dukkha. It's a, it's a good word, you know, once you really start to get a sense of what dukkha is. I'm sure that many people here use that word. It's like, this is dukkha. 
And there's nothing that really um, says it except the word dukkha, once you really start to have a sense of what that means. And in dukkha, dukkha here on the first couple of days of a retreat is, are the, the, the hindrances that Gil spoke about last night. We encounter the five hindrances, the mind of grasping and desire and attachment, uh, the mind of aversion and ill will pushing our experience away, uh, the sleepiness, the uh, restlessness and worry and doubt. And, and, and sometimes we'll have those different times of the day, different flavors, different varieties. Sometimes they come all at once. And we say we have a multiple hindrance attack. You know, it's like, it's, are we just filled with, the, with hindrances? And it seems that it takes up all of the space in ourselves, and we can't find any space from it. We really feel caught in those, those forces of, the, of hindrances. So we do practice, you know, we practice with coming back to our experience, feeling, being here with what's happening again and again, because we do need to overcome these hindrances because they are, uh, they do cover over the clarity of the mind. They do become, uh, they are obscurations for us to see what's real and what's true if we're identified with them. If we think that they shouldn't be here and we're giving ourselves a hard time and judging ourselves and feel frustrated, then they become the, they can become, uh, they cloud our experience so that we can't see very clearly. But when we can simply turn our mindfulness to the experience of, say, sleepiness or restlessness and feel that and sense that and, and be curious about it in some way, then we're in touch with reality. I'm here. I may not like my experience, I may want it to be otherwise, I may have a, a preference, but it's not, it's, what's more, what's stronger is my willingness to be fully in contact with my true experience. And the more I'm, more I have the, the willingness and the interest to be here fully, what's actually happening is that I'm starting to decondition the forces of mind of aversion and grasping and restlessness and doubt and all those, the forces that are actually feeding those hindrances start to um, die away because I'm not bringing more, I'm not adding more on top of the experience. So when I'm feeling sleepy and then I'm feeling really judgmental and frustrated and impatient, I'm just adding more fuel. It's like adding fuel to the fire, and then the fire gets stronger rather than the fire getting calmer and cooler. So the more I'm able to bring awareness to the very tendencies of mind that are the grasping and the aversion and and the very things I'm wanting to get away from, then my experience starts to shift and settle down a little bit more. So we want to actually allow these experiences, even though they can be challenging and unpleasant, allowing them so that we're not adding more on top of the experience, which is just reinforcing and strengthening those experiences.
We might say that when we see these five forces of mind, grasping, aversion, sleepiness, restlessness, and doubt, these, these challenging states of mind, when we see them in a certain way, we can see that actually they're all, they can all be forms of rejecting our experience in some way. Some form of rejection. So when I'm grasping on to wanting a different experience than the one that I have, say that I'm feeling restless and I actually don't want there to be restlessness and I'm actually impatient with that, then I'm grasping on to an experience that's other than the one I have, and it's a kind of rejection. Um, I'm rejecting what's here. Aversion is, is, is very straightforward. When I'm pushing away or not wanting my experience, it's a clear form of, I don't want this. I want something else. So you can see grasping and aversion, they just work together in tandem. Wanting some other experience, pushing away another experience, back and forth like that. Sleepiness, depending on the kind of sleepiness, it, sometimes it can be purely physical because we've overworked or we're not feeling well or, or different factors can bring sleepiness about, jet lag or different conditions. But sometimes even sleepiness, dullness, tiredness can be a kind of rejection of our experience because we don't want to actually be here. And it's easier just to go to sleep. It's easier just to kind of fade out or just not pay attention. So that could be a kind of rejection of our experience. Restlessness and worry. The, 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 the restlessness that builds in the body because it's just so difficult to be present. Don't want to be here. And doubt. You know, all the confusion that can come about because you can't, can't figure it out. Does it make sense? I'm not. I can't do this practice anyhow, I'm not worthy of it. All kinds of ways we can be rejecting ourselves and just seeing that we're just sitting here and minding our own business, doing our sitting and our walking, and give ourselves a break. So all these can be a kind of rejection, and I want to talk about this rejecting activity tonight. I want to focus on this more because I think this is really key for us in our practice is to understand how we're really rejecting our ourselves and our experience a lot of the time from our ideas and our expectations, our judgments, our uh, all these views we have about what we're supposed to be doing, who I'm supposed to be, what's supposed to be happening. You know, rather than looking directly and saying, well, what is happening? You know, what is here? And going beyond in some ways, or going beyond the ideation, uh, looking beyond this, the conceptual structuring that we've built up over the years of our conditioning and say, well, what's actually true? What's here now in this, in this moment, this simplicity of just this moment? Or I'm just sitting and maybe taking an in-breath, an out-breath. Or I'm sitting and my, my belly's contracted and I've got a lot of energy moving through my body and somebody's making breathing very deeply next to me and I'm feeling very contracted. Okay, that's what's happening. 
just really continuing to, to, to take a look directly at our experience. When this is seen with awareness, we're deconditioning the power of these forces. There's many forms of, of this rejecting. One of, the, one of the key ones that we see a lot in our experience is this negative critical judgment. And so many people have a strong voice, strong inner voice in, 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 in the mind, which is like a, um, a dictate of how we're supposed to be or how our experience is supposed to be. This voice, and it's a, and this, when I'm talking about a negative, judgmental, critical mind, I'm talking about a mind that is, is, it's a a mind of ill will. It's mean. Sometimes I just say to people when I'm talking, I said, it's just mean. No, and we can recognize that voice, and we don't have to listen to that voice, but we, we need to be able to identify it because it can really wreak havoc on our experience. So that rejecting voice, the forms of rejecting of reactivity, of the reaction, which are all these, they kind of fit into the, the five hindrances, reacting, the grasping, aversion, um, controlling, all this kind of can go into the genre of, of controlling our experience, wanting our experience to be a particular way, the way we avoid, we don't want to know what's happening, pretend it's not happening, or suppress our experience, be doubtful, all of these kinds of, act, all this activity, which, which all of them have some form of anger, or fear, fear or confusion, or all three of them all these particular forces of, of mind and the way, the way that they, they manifest. And this is what feeds, what, what, what fuels them, is the anger and the fear and the confusion. And what we want to understand about this is that all of this activity we call ego activity. Ego activity. And in Buddhism, when we talk about the ego activity, we're actually talking about the problematic ego or the problematic uh, self. All this activity that goes on that is actually creating dukkha. It's creating pain. It's creating suffering for us. We call this ego activity or this rejecting activity, same thing. Rejecting activity, ego activity, same thing. And it's so hard to see because it's embedded in the fabric of our identity itself. Who we take ourselves to be, this idea of me or myself, it's like this is who I am. We think this is who I am, this whole kind of... Uh, activity of these difficult forces of our mind, so we can't really see them. We, we, be, we become so identified with them and, and think that somehow these um, thoughts and these mind states, these attitudes, are actually telling us something about what's true. And there's nothing about them that's true. They're all conditioned from our past, from our history. They really have very little to do 
with this present reality, with, with what's true now. There are all these forces that are rushing from the past into the present. And we don't see them so clearly for what they are as thoughts and mind states and emotions that are connected with the thoughts and the stories and the memories. And, and we become identified. And that's what forms the sense of who we take ourselves to be. We actually believe when we get identified with these patterns of mind, we actually believe that something is wrong with us. I mean, it's, <laughs> it sounds so obvious just to say it, but, but, it's, but it's what happens. You know, we actually believe something's wrong with us, and then we think that we need to be fixed. So then so much of our activity goes into trying to change our experience or fix ourselves in some way because we think we're broken. And it's just an idea. It's not true. And so what we're attempting to do is actually be able to see that for ourselves, actually be able to discriminate and identify those patterns of thought, those patterns of mind, those uh, beliefs, those uh, ways that our, our, ide- our ideas, our mind, our small mind has become structured and conditioned. So we can say, oh yeah, those are thoughts from the past that are coming into the present, but they actually, when I look clearly at what's happening in this moment, I'm just sitting here and or I'm walking and I feel the cool air on my face. I see people walking around, I've got a kind of knot in my stomach, and I have pain in my body, but actually, nothing's really wrong, you know, it's just the way that I'm feeling right now. So we can start to put things a little bit more in perspective when we start to see things for what they are. We stay very, very busy, and you've probably noticed over these last couple of days, how busy your mind is trying to, I don't know, gets busy with all kinds of things, trying to create certain experiences, rejecting other experiences, or sometimes that gets projected out and we want to change other people or other people's experiences. We don't want them to be here or all kinds of judgments go out on other people. Or, you know, we get very, very busy This is the ego activity. This is the activity of the mind trying to create some kind of experience that in which then I can rest. Once once I get everything in kind of order or some kind of shape that matches my idea of what I think is supposed to be happening, then I can rest. Then I can let go. Then I can stop trying to fix everything. But until then, I have to, you know, this is the position of the ego. This is what the ego believes, that I have to try to fix everything and try to make everything okay so that I can then relax. But I think we know that that strategy doesn't work very well. Because I keep trying to make myself into someone or mold myself into something or trying to recreate myself into something that matches these ideas, And then we're getting more and more disconnected 
from the natural, natural state of my being, of who I am. All this activity, and, and you've seen this over the last couple days, all this activity becomes a filter over our, our mind, this obscuration. So it's very difficult to see what's true, what's real, what's, what's, what's here, recognizing the, the beauty, the, the perfection in some way of, of, of who, who I am, who you are already. And so our practice, what, what, our, what the instructions encourage, is the, the recognition of this, these, these patterns when they arise, recognizing this activity when it's present, and, and not continuing to uh, dwell in it, not continuing to feed it, to buy into it, but let it go. Like, let it go. But sometimes, you know, we don't even recognize it's going on for... 10 minutes or half hour or half a day or a whole day and then go, oh yeah, I was really caught up today. I was really caught in all of this today. But then we can say, oh yeah, I can let that go. I don't need to keep carrying this. At any moment, we've been saying this uh, over the last few days, it's any moment that we recognize what's happening, then we have that choice. We have the choice to be able to take that breath and then just let go. Settle more fully into the body. Feel our feet on the ground. Look at the sky or the animals or the grass. Feel the air. And it actually, we actually feel like we're putting down the burden. It actually feels that way. It's like, yeah, I'm putting down the burden. And what we're putting down is the burden of the past. Because the, when we carry the past with us, it feels very heavy. Physically, we can actually feel it physically in our bodies. We feel how that carrying the past with us feels. The pressure, the, the heaviness, the contraction, the tension, the all that, uh, any way that may manifest, we feel that. And then when we finally take those breaths and we start to feel a little bit more calm and more connected, there's something that opens. We start to open. And then we, we feel the freshness again. And the breath that comes through the breath, we're breathing more freshly. We, 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 we have a sense of bit more settledness, more calm in ourselves. And everything starts to open up. We feel, we feel relaxed. We feel more at ease. And then a, a kind of happiness starts to come through. We all know this. We've all experienced this here. So we really have to question what our minds are telling us. Is, is the mind telling us what's true? And if we think it's true, how do we know that? How do you know it's true? We really have to question this, bring doubt to this, uh, the way that our, our small thinking minds, our conceptual minds, has this reality uh, uh, constructed, fabricated. Part of our practice is this questioning. Questioning this past, past reality. 
what's true, really asking this question, what's true? What's really true? And where we're going to find out is here. Being here now and looking at our, the immediacy of our experience to find out. Because we can't consult our thinking minds. As soon as we go back into our thinking minds, we're back in the past. I have a teacher, Hamid Ali, uh, who's the uh, founder of the uh, Diamond Heart School, the Ridwan Foundation. And Hamid says that this activity, this ego activity, causes a thickening of our consciousness that cuts off our intimacy with ourselves and everything else. He says it cuts off the warmth of being ourselves. I love that, that part. He says it cuts off the warmth of being ourselves. And when we really are able to relax into our, our experience just as it is, through that, connect, that connectivity, that connection, there is a kind of instant warmth that comes because we're here. Even though we may not be able to access it so immediately because our experience might be somewhat painful or quite difficult. And then we may get into the rejection again and wanting it to be different and not really wanting to be here or trying to figure out some kind of strategy to make this experience change. So it may not we may not be able to access that settling so well. But when we do, we feel that warmth. This is a a poem from Alice Walker. Some of you have heard it. It's called Meditation Blues. Sometimes it breaks my heart to watch my mind cold self-interest, insistent fear and judgment, whispered insults, vengeful fantasies, triumph and despair, a conditioned unfolding so impersonal we take it personally, sometimes aghast at the casual cruelty of even minor fears and celebrations, sometimes it breaks my heart to watch my mind. And sometimes it stays broken long enough to touch even this pain with love. Sometimes the mercy washes even Mrs. Macbeth's hands, turns tragedy to grace, and makes it all worthwhile. Sometimes it breaks my mind to watch my heart. Sometimes it breaks my mind to watch my heart. Breaking our mind, breaking up this conditioning, this solidity of our past, which, when not seen, defines the sense of who I take myself to be. And if I'm not seeing that clearly, and if I'm living with these ideas, I'm likely to feel the pain of that, because I'm not connected with the truth. This resistance 
in a very interesting way, this activity, this resisting activity, this rejecting activity, is actually what holds our identity together. It's the glue. Because what we're actually resisting is changing, is transforming, is becoming all that we can be. By holding our identity together in this way, we keep ourselves from from changing, and this actually preserves this sense of ego. Because from an ego level, I don't want to lose what I already have. I don't want to lose who I know myself to be. I want to keep what's familiar. I want to keep, keep what's known. I want to keep what's comfortable. I don't really want to rock the boat from an ego level. And if you are, and you, all of you are, you're all here on retreat, which means you're rocking the boat, That means you're listening to something that is not just this ego activity. You're in touch with something that's running through you, which I would call wisdom, which I would call compassion, which I would call the strength of heart, that's saying, yes, I want to know the truth. I want to confront this fixated solid sense of who I take myself to be. Already something's informing you. But most people don't want to rock the boat, so they'll do everything they can to keep things just the way they've always been. We say we stay in our comfort zone. And we'll see that here. We'll see that here on retreat, where we want to stay in our comfort zone. We find our places in the hall, and, you know, it's, my area, you know, got all your gear or, you know, your walking space. It's my walking space. You don't want anybody to walk through it or buy it or, you know, it's our, we get into our comfort zones, but that's just natural. And to a certain extent, it's supportive because we're already taking uh, quite a risk by being here and looking at reality. So it's okay, you know, it's okay to have some comfort while we do that. We don't want to strip everything away too quickly. Not sure we could really handle that anyhow. So we wanted to see that from this ego, this 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 mental level, the, the conceptual level, which I'm calling the ego, the ego activity, that this is if we identify with our minds, if we we keep consulting our minds, we keep thinking that that's telling us the truth in some way, we will be imprisoned by our own ideas, our own beliefs, our own uh, conditioning, and we won't we won't be able to break free. So this practice is really radical. It's a very radical practice. Letting go of the past, breaking free of these old ideas, these old identities, the old conditions. And so, of course, we're going to feel the tension. (laughs) Of course, we're going to feel the struggle, the challenge of this. This It's a very rigorous practice that we're doing, which therefore means we even have to bring forth even more qualities of our heart, of of kindness and gentleness and care and patience, 
these qualities because it requires a lot of resources to be able to walk this path, to look so honestly and truthfully at ourselves and see what's really here. Look at our own minds, look at our own hearts. It's a very courageous practice, and I always have so much um, appreciation and gratitude for people who, and inspiration for people who really do commit to and walk this path, because it's not easy. Maybe simple, but not easy. So our practice really then, if we want to not be acting out of the patterns of resistance and rejecting, is then one of, I might call, inclusiveness. We want to continue to include, to open to, to allow all of the experiences that arise in our mind, in our body, in our heart. In a way, it's a kind of stepping back just a little bit. We step back when we notice that my mind is resisting or angry or anxious or attached or we're caught in some kind of story. Just to step back just a little bit and see if I can put some space around that, some mindful awareness around that, and just say, oh yeah, that's what's going on. And, f- and to see if I can say that or, or be with that in a way that I'm not then just, again, trying to change it, manipulate, control it. You know, just, okay, let me just see if I can allow this right now and, and, and feel it and, and let myself be immersed in this experience. And it's not easy to do that sometimes, depending on the strength of the, of the experience. So this attitude of allowing what is right where you are, not leaping over or overriding your experience in some way, but just coming back here now. This is what we say again and again and again. Not being afraid of your experience. This is actually what happens. I remember one time my... my, uh, one of my Tibetan teachers, Sokni Rinpoche, said to us, don't be afraid of yourself. Don't be afraid of your experience. And it was a kind of interesting way to think about it because I hadn't thought about it quite that way before. But it was like, yeah, I don't want a lot of what I experience, so I want to reject it because I'm afraid of what might actually happen if I feel it, if I stay present with it. So... So we say, don't, don't be afraid, although you will be afraid, but then see what happens as you just step back into the spaciousness a little bit. Say, oh yeah, there, I am afraid. I do feel a little afraid right now. Let's see if I can actually be here for this. A way that I like to frame this right now, this, this inclusiveness and for myself is uh, uh, this co- concept of sensitive attunement. I'm thinking of my practice these days as being sensitively attuned to my experience, moment to moment to moment, 
being sensitive to where I am in each moment. In a sense, when I say sensitive, it, it brings a kind of care, a kind of compassion, a kind of kindness to what's happening. So I'm not pushing or overriding or expecting or demanding or, or imposing on myself in all the ways that I'm so familiar with. But just relaxing a little bit more into my experience to see if I can just be sensitively attuned to what's here right now. And when I do that, I'm sending a message to myself that says, I am truly interested in knowing myself. I'm truly interested in connecting with myself. I really want to know my own heart. And there's something so sweet in that, in that message. It's a very different message than the one that we're usually hearing, which is we need to be different than we are. But the sense of, I want to know. I want to know who I am. I want to know what's here. And this requires a willingness an honesty, a real interest in my experience, a respectfulness. And Gil was speaking last night about respect, respecting ourselves, so crucial to this path, to this practice. And perhaps you can hear that when we bring those qualities of kindness and connectedness and respect and listening, this kind of inner listening, we're we're strengthening those qualities within our own being. Those qualities start to emerge more of the time. It's like like, uh, uh, when we go to the gym and work out, we're strengthening muscles. It's like we're strengthening those inner muscles of our heart rather than the ones that are negative and critical and full of ill will, anger. We're trying to overcome those difficult patterns. When I was reflecting on this talk tonight, I I was remembering an experience of some few years, some years ago, when I was uh, doing a, how long was I sitting? Maybe um, a month at the Forest Refuge in the East, Co- East Coast, uh, the Insight Meditation Society, doing a, an intensive self-retreat there. And I remember one night, you know, trying to get up early in the morning and stay up later at night, not sleeping as much, you know, maybe sleeping maximum five, six hours a night so that I could really be practicing all through through the day. And so those night times would get really rough, you know, having gotten up maybe at four in the morning or, you know, and then by 10 o'clock, uh, 11, you know, 11 o'clock, well, 10 o'clock because I'd usually maybe could make five hours of five five hours of sleep, but so by ten o'clock, you know, it's like, gosh, how am I going to stay awake here? You know, and then just feeling how tired I am, and you know, all the the difficult, restless energy running through my body, and you know, really, really hard. And I remember one night doing the walking meditation, 
upstairs and I usually would have to walk because I, if I sat I would just go right to sleep and I was trying to stay awake. So this one night I was walking and I remember walking and, and what I was telling myself is just get get through it. You can go to bed, you know, 11 o'clock, just keep walking, keep walking, get through it, you know, kind of doing a pep talk kind of thing. And, you know, just sort of pushing through, just pushing through, just walking, walking. But, but really not with my experience that much because I was just trying to get through it. And then I remember there was a moment which was very, very significant where I just stopped for a moment and went, wait a minute. I could just feel what, what's happening right now. You know, what's it like to want to push through? What's it like to be so tired and you know, have this restless energy and just kind of feel this? Be here with myself with this. And as I did that, there was this whole opening that happened. I felt all this real care for myself and a real sense of, um, of uh, kind of appreciation for the fact that I was working this hard that I had this deep um, commitment and interest to really be free of my past conditioning, to really wake up to my, my, my true potential of my being, to wake up to my heart. I just, it was just kind of, I just recognized in that moment what I was actually doing. And doing in the, in the respect of my deep, commitment to awakening and liberation. And everything shifted. And I remember in that moment that I wasn't even quite as tired. It was like a whole energy shifted. That I got, I got energy. And I started just to feel a bit more upright and uh, had, had my, my, the rest of my, my walking meditation was completely different. Not that I was sort of clicking my heels, you know, and, and jumping up and down. But I remember this whole, whole wonderful shift. And, and that's what I mean by a sensitive attunement. It's like, oh yeah, I don't need to push through. I have this idea that I have to go, you know, be up, be up till 11 o'clock. I just see what's here, what's actually happening, feel into it. And it was quite a significant moment because I think it was one of the first times I really understood what it meant to override my present experience, to, to not be fully engaged in what was happening. So this care, you know, what much of what I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to communicate to you tonight is this kind of an invitation for real caring and maybe a a deeper understanding of of what it is that you're actually pursuing is not easy. And we we give ourselves such a rough time, a lot of the time, for how we're doing with maybe not a a, a deeper, fuller recognition of what we're doing. Really, our, 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 our deeper commitment to waking up, to, our, to wanting to, to, to be free, to live a liberated life, is very, very beautiful. It's very beautiful when we feel that, when we sense that within our own heart. So when we see exactly what's going on, 
there is this inner attunement. And this is what allows for a rebalancing or a kind of healing to happen in this attunement. Because then we have access to the resources within our own being. We have access, access to the, 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 the wisdom, the compassion that we are. Because we're not split off from it. We're not separated from it. We're right here. And when we're right here, that's what comes forth. In the beginning, it may take some trust or some faith in that. But part of our practice, too, is finding out for ourselves a direct experience of what's true. What's true here? It's all about what's true. And when we open to the truth of what's really here, we open to reality. Reality, sometimes we say reality is the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. And is our heart big enough to hold it all? How big is our heart? It's a <coughs> immense, it's immense thing that we're asking ourselves to do here. But we can do it. The Buddha, the Buddha said, if I did not think you could do it, I would not ask you to. If I did not think you were capable of waking up, I would not ask you to. So I want to read this little parable. Confined in the dark, narrow cage of our own making that we take for the whole universe, very few of us can even begin to imagine another dimension of mind. Patrol Rinpoche tells the story of an old frog who had lived all his life in a dank well. One day, a frog from the sea paid him a visit. Where do you come from? asked the frog in the well. From the great ocean, he replied. How big is your ocean? It's gigantic. You mean about a quarter quarter of the size of my well here? Bigger. Bigger? You mean half as big? No, even bigger. Is it as big as this well? There's no comparison. That's impossible. I've got to see this for myself. So they set off together. And when the frog from the well saw the ocean, it was such a shock that his head just exploded into pieces. (laughs) I want you to take that on as a Zen koan. (laughs) Because if you truly get the meaning of that, your head will explode into pieces. And that's, shall I dare I say, (laughs) that's what we want. (laughs) Not literally. (laughs) We want this cage to explode. And the only way that we stay in the cage is to believe what's running through our brain, our head, 
our mind. And so we say, let go. Let go of the story, let go of the content, let go of the judgments. Of, and it's not easy to let go. You can't even let go, actually. Let, letting go is a byproduct of clarity, of clear seeing. So when you see things for what they are, you let, you let go because you see it's just a thought. How can I believe a thought? It's not true. It's just an impression may or may not be revealing anything about this immediate reality right now. So we want to sense in, feel in, kind of intuit in, what's here? What is this? Who am I? Without the the constructs of the past, impinging, imposing. And this is what's possible for us. This is from Ajahn Sumedho, our wonderful elder in this tradition. He says, the mind is like space. There is room in it for everything or nothing. We always have a perspective once we know that space of mind, its emptiness. Armies can come into the mind and leave, butterflies, rain clouds, or nothing. All things can come and go through without us being caught in reaction or resistance. The mind is like space. There is room in it for everything or nothing. So this is our practice. And I wish you all the very best on your journey. Let's sit for a few minutes together. May all beings live with wisdom. May all beings live with compassion. May all beings live with clarity in order to see the truth of all things.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.